You're listening to the Purpose Driven Person Podcast. This podcast is made for leaders unwilling to give up their desires to be purpose-driven. Guys, I made this show for a compass for you to have more purpose in leadership through four concepts, creation, communication, collaboration, and connection in both business and in life. My name is Matthew Leland Cox. I'm the founder of Never Give Up Youth Healing Center, Never Give Up Wellness Center, and Never Give Up Foundation. You can find me at MatthewLelandCox.com. Are you ready? Well, let's do this. All right. Welcome back to the show. I'm Matthew Cox, your host. And if you're tuning in for the first time, check us out wherever you are on all your social media. Hey, welcome back to another season. It took a break from podcasting for a minute. This is the first show coming back from a pretty long uh, break, I would say trying to think on how I'd like to approach getting back into podcasting. You know, I do this because I love podcasting. I actually started in radio, had a radio show for a while, and um, just I miss it. It's something that I do for fun. I, I really am not trying to blow it up or whatever it is. If it does, if it takes off, great. If you enjoy these conversations, uh, this season I'm going to be approaching things as a leader a little different, and I'll be sharing some things throughout leadership, but also just I'm going to be focusing heavily on leadership and also mental health, where I came from and how we need to take care of our mental health as a leader. So hopefully that'll help you as we go through this journey. I will be only doing one podcast a month moving forward. It does take a lot of work to put this up, so I want to make sure moving forward I'll be getting those uh, interviews set up, uh, really good content coming. What do you want to hear as well? You're feel free to uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I, that's the platform I usually use regularly. Uh, you can just find me there, Matthew Leland Cox. Go on and give me a message and tell me what you want to hear or what episode that might have, you know, resonated with you. So uh, that's kind of where we're at. So let's get started. This show, I wanted to do a show coming back in podcasting again. There's a few concepts I want to share with you. And one of the concepts I'm going to pull here up on my computer, if you're watching on YouTube, you can watch this on YouTube and also um, listen to it on iTunes and a few other platforms. So we're excited just to be back at it. So let me pull this up. So one of the things I wanted to share with you I'm just going to be real as we go through these things. I'm going to share what I've kind of experienced through my experience as a leader. And hopefully it just helps you in your journey because leadership is interesting. And one of the things I really love to do is to read and just kind of pick things apart. So I'm going to pull this up. But here's what I'm going to do is I want to kind of bring some things to light. This is this is a last year of rough leadership personally. Um, addressing some things that have hit. And I want to share this experience or this lesson I learned as a leader. And hopefully, if you're listening, if you're a CEO, if you're a uh, leadership VP or whatever it is, or you're an entrepreneur trying to get it, trying to make off uh, as a visionary, trying to get something off the ground. Here, here's the scary thing. I just want to start with this, and then I'll get into the content I'm going to share with you. You know, as I've been going through the last few years, I, I've I've purchased so much content, and it's so scary these days that we don't have any good content. There's there's some good ones and there's some bad ones, and you have to be very careful what you absorb. So right now on the the internet, um, from all the platforms across the board, it's really tough because. There's a lot of entrepreneurs, and I love this. This comes from Gary Vee. Uh, I think, you know, he challenges. He says, you know, you got to be careful because a lot of these content creators, these entrepreneurs, uh, bless their hearts. It's a lot of work. I'm, I'm telling you, like Mr. B, he just was a video game player. But look how many followers he has. And his videos content is not like life-changing. Like, yes, he gives away things, but it's just interesting the where we're absorbing our information. No no offense, Mr. B. I know you hang out with Daryl uh, Eves. He, I went to school with Daryl. Good job, Daryl. Daryl's done a good job on creating content that helps YouTubers. 
but the biggest thing I think Daryl's done is is creating a uh, a, a series on the life of Christ, and it was really cool. He's really went and took his content creating a different direction. So, so awesome job there, Daryl. Uh, went to school with all his brothers, but at the end of the day, if you look at these content creators, it just blows my mind. And I want to talk about this a little bit before I jump into leadership, because this is where it also affects you as a leader, because this is where all your your workers, your employers, your leaders, your employees, your leaders, they're getting their content from, they're getting influence from TikTok. They're getting influence from there. And you have to really sort through and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good content, but you got to dig below all the top five, 12 that are just trash. I'm going to tell you it's trash. It, it's numbing. And, uh, and it's so hard not to get sucked into their, the, the, the vortex of this. And I'm just going to speak openly because it's, it, it's very addicting. It can grab anybody. And the next thing you know, you wasted 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour watching nothing. Could be pranks of, hey, I have a vehicle. I'm going to make this person think they're a gold digger. Content of, hey, I'm going to open a box and show you what I purchased. I mean, come on. Let's, let's really go through this. I watched my five-year-old watch. He loves Minecraft. And I'm not telling it that we're, I'm not saying anybody's subject to this. I've been sucked down this vortex. And, you know, I, I think about it more and more. What is the psychology behind it? This is where I spent most of my field in, in the mental health area. And what, what is it, what's the effect it has on us and how much is it going to damage our youth and our, our workforce, everybody else, our leadership, how much is that going to affect us down the line? So you got to really think about this. Where are you getting your information? So there's a lot of content creators that have came out of it. We grew up with uh, gurus. Why is your guru not working? Uh, it's a good saying. Why isn't your guru? Like some gurus, Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn. Uh, these are people I grew up, uh, John Maxwell. Uh, these are content creators, information givers. Uh, their stuff is not a magic bullet. Like it's just information they're sharing, just like I'm doing here. I'm sharing my opinion or my thoughts on something. Maybe it resonates, maybe it doesn't. And so the thing in when when creating content or creating information or sharing or speaking or motivating, it's also looking at it. What do you see, and how do you get to that? that uh, ideal purpose. And that's what this show is about is a purpose-driven person. And so this is the season I'm going to be talking about is your leadership. Why does your guru not work? But we're going to talk about the psychology and the mental health of things as a leader, a high performer, where you're at risk sometimes and hurting your health and your mental health at the same time. So we're going to go down that path. I'm going to have a lot of good interviews on here Again, this show will be once a month. It's going to be bringing you content. So again, I'm just going down this 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 prelude of why do you watch what you watch? I challenge you. What is it that you're absorbing? It's kind of like what you eat is what you are. I had to learn that when I almost hit 300 pounds in, back in 2007. Um, I'll have to show you my picture sometime when I get all my stuff where I can push buttons and and show those that are watching on YouTube. But yeah, it, it was a big change. I had to decide what I put in my mouth is what created me. And I still fight that every day. Um, some days I win, some days I don't. But the problem is what I've learned is as long as I recognize it and I change that behavior, if I'm in a funk one day, if it takes me two days to get out of it, I just don't remain in it. And if I went up two or three pounds, I don't stress on it. I, I have the tools to get that off. But if I get into this numb, whatever, like what Brene Brown says, if I start numbing out and using things to numb out where food was my numbing, yours could be alcohol. If you're a leader, you might come home from a frustrating situation and drink. You might overeat like I used to. You might uh, go to other vices that numb you out. So you have to decide what is it that's numbing you out. Uh, 
today we, you know, back in the day, we would watch one episode a week. And I, I noticed they're starting to do that on Disney. I don't know if you noticed that in some other platforms, they're letting you watch one episode and then it doesn't come out till the next week. This is what we grew up on. It, 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 it was to help us from that delay of gratification that one episode's here, then the next one's coming instead of binge watching. How is the binge watching on Netflix and all your social medias affect you? For me, it affects me because I get, I'm an ADD kid. I'm just going to tell you with attention deficit growing up with it. You've heard my story on here. I've, I, I've had attention deficit. It's affected my reading and writing growing up. But part of that is my anxiety. So if I get kind of anxiety throughout the day, I could be easily sucked into vegging or vegging out or watching, binge watching as they call it. So you have to really understand you. And I have a quote I want to just uh, understand is that the worst thing a leader can do is try to manage other people. But the thing before managing other people, they got to manage themselves. And I'm paraphrasing this. It's by Stephen Covey. He teaches this concept. And what I'm trying to tell you is that you guys have to manage yourself as a leader before you manage others. So if you're a leader, if you're an owner, this show is for you. If you are somebody that's trying to get something off the ground, this show is for you. If you have a purpose and a bigger idea that you feel you're just hardwired to do something greater, this show is for you. And I'm going to be sharing these concepts of what I've done as a short bus kid working through these things because I was told constantly I would never do anything. Well, I'm telling you, I, I've accomplished a lot of things with a lot of great people around me and it's not my doing. It's I had to work on myself and it's a continuous journey. Sometimes my personality is not the best fit for sometimes in certain situations because I'm a kind of person that gets things done. I'll get in there. I'll start going. I'll start pushing out. I'll read something. I think it's the coolest thing. And then I share it and you hear crickets because people are not willing to explore their self. So it, it's interesting. Who is the leader? And I found this out in your organization, just because you're the founder and I want to talk to you founders, doesn't mean you're the leader in your organization. So I have a partner. He's also my brother. Uh, he is my he is the leader in my organization. I've watched over the decade where it's shift. As a founder, I was the idea guy. I opened up doors. I made sure things. I'm a doer. He's the back. We have a joke among yourselves. I'm Walt Disney. He's Roy Disney. We've we've went through and really navigated the most tough estate to do business in, and and it was interesting to watch him and how he navigates this. So what I found in our in our in our leadership styles, I get things going. I I kind of get things as he says I kind of ruffle feathers, get things up. I don't let things fall. I see things coming because I'm a forward thinker like I see a way ahead this issue is going to become it. He then goes in and starts working on it. He starts really beating out the things that need to happen. So it's really cool to see I watch it. I now am understanding it because I'm starting to say, hey, there is no person personalizing this. I'm realizing that people now have nat have gravitated towards him as the leader. And my job as a visionary is I'm the keeper of the culture. So he's I'm the emotional side. He is the uh, logical side of the business. And he helps make sure the systems are in place. I make sure the people are going forward and have a people plan or checking in on them. So it's a great team. And that's where you have to now sit, stand back. So you founders that this is for you. Who is the leader in your business? Is it truly you? Do everybody come, does everybody come to you or do they go to somebody else? Do they look for somebody that actually is following through and getting things done and can give them answers because most cases, the visionary or the founder is not that person in most cases. It's usually the integrator that has naturally took in that leadership. So most visionaries have to find an integrator that can lead and make sure that things are done in a very timely manner. So that's just something to think about. That's a lesson I've learned over the years, and I wanted to share that. 
So let's jump into this. Today's podcast as we kick this off again. So I'm excited. I don't I I love doing this. This is my therapy. This is my way of sharing. I, someday I maybe I'll be a professor and teach. I don't know. I love teaching. I've always had and it's crazy as a short bus kid, you know, when I use that term, I'm not using it in a bad way. It's just who I was growing up and I've had to embrace it. And I'm a leader as well. And so leaders, um, you know, one thing leaders do is we get out in front with a banner and we say, come this way, let's do this. You know, bosses, boss, bosses, direct bosses tell you, you better do this. And then they sit in the office and they don't show you how. So right now that's where we're starting this show. What are you? I want you to take a minute. Think about who you are right now. Where is your situation? If you're listening to this, maybe you're working with a company or you're working for a company and, and you got to take back and have empathy on this because you're just as challenging as the leader is trying to get people moving. So if I'm an employee listening to this, think about what you do. And then as a leader, think about what you do. So it goes both ways. You got to manage yourself before you point fingers and have language and this is some of the language I hear a lot of when it comes to um, roadblocks. So some of the things I hear is this. Uh, they won't give us any resources. They do not know what they're doing up there. I don't have the budget. They'll never let us do it that. We have no alternatives. My hands are tied. I've heard that many times from my leaders that do have the resources and they, they want to be the victim. And then the last one is if only they, and then, you know, think about those. There's a roadblock kind of verbiage. That's a language that um, you, you have to think about when it comes to a language that is a mindset also. And if you're a leader listening, if you use those terminologies, you need to stop. You need to back up, think about it, and it should sound more like this. These are road, these are roadblock busters. Now that's we know what we can do, we can do it. Now that we know, so we got clarity, and I went to champion it to get the clarity, we can do it. Let's pursue this. Has to get to get this job done and go away. So let's 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 get this done. Let's pursue it. Uh, this is the way to do it. Let's get it going. So this is like a, a roadblock buster. And then the last one is, we just haven't talked to the right person yet. We just haven't talked to the right person yet. So it's getting a lot of movement, getting that clarity, getting the roles clear, getting the expectation clear. And I want to just, uh, here's a here's a quote from Stephen Covey. Whenever someone waits for someone else to make these things happen or provide a solution, I'll tell them, use your R&I, resourcefulness and innovation. Use your ROI. Stop, stop waiting. And that's one thing I see a lot of, even as leaders, even as entrepreneurs, even the business owners will sit and wait for the right situation. The other day, I was just training some of my leaders and there was the 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 mindset I would kept hearing is when we get this position, then this will happen. And I'm like, well, you don't have that position. So who's gonna own it? Where is your accountability seats? Where's your accountability chart? And that's the biggest thing we have to look at is how do we stop waiting for the perfect storm or the situation? Because we have to still own what's not being done as leadership. And so that's one of the things, accountability. So let's talk about this book I just read. I, I want to go in there and you'll you'll hear some shows. If I don't have interviews, I'm usually going to take a book and talk about it. This show is just going to be straightforward. It's 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 an easy, hey, this is what it is. I'm not going <laughs> to, I know you get on some podcasts and everybody tries to act very over the top. Um, I'm just going to be real open and honest. Here's what it is. I'm just like you as a leader. I'm a dad. I have two boys. I have two dogs. I have a wife from a uh, beautiful wife. Uh, and, and, and we, we have our struggles. Nothing is perfect. And, 
if if anybody tries to put on this facade that everything's perfect, leadership is messy and leadership sucks. Because when you do get it, you're like, man, what was I thinking? And But that's the higher purpose. That's the purpose-driven person behind you. You're in leadership because you feel you have some way of making an influence and a change. That's the only way, unless you're power hungry, you have to decide. That's a boss. A boss is a power hungry individual and they're more status driven. And we're going to talk about that. A leader is more results driven. And we'll talk about that as well. So let's talk about this book. I read this before. I'm rereading it. Um, it's called The Five Temptations of a CEO. It's by Patrick Lencioni. Um, I'm going back through his books. Uh, I love his books. He has a, a dozen or a handful of them. He has the one, The Five Dysfunctions of the Leader. He has um, a healthier organization or uh, health advantage, uh, advantage, I think it is. And, and it's so I'm going back through all these books of him he, that he wrote. Great, great, great individual. He's really put time into it. And so this book, if you haven't read it, I really recommend it. It's a good book. It, you can listen to it on Audible. It's a story. He, use, he uses a lot of story to tell within his books to make points. And it really resonates for me as a, as a kid that struggled, you know, reading and writing growing up. And so I can visualize it because one of the things I learned is I can memorize things and then I can re, uh, teach it very quickly because that was my strength growing up. So the first temptation in this book, it starts out as a CEO getting ready for a board meeting. They didn't do too well the year and it's fourth quarter, I believe. And he has to go before the board and report out how the year, uh, the end of the year is. And he was really stressed because he just fired his marketing guy. And, and now the story is he's sitting in his office and I'm just giving you, it, it's a good book, go read it. And so then he ends up on the subway in this fable as Patrick's put together, Patrick Lindione, the author, he put together as a storyline that he then ends up on the subway and this janitor guy comes in and sits next to him, an old guy. And he just says, okay, hey, Patrick. And he starts, and he's like, who is this guy? And the guy then starts talking to him and ends up being his mentor throughout the story. And, and it ends up that he meets some other guys through this journey. And towards the end, I'll just kind of summarize it. And then hopefully you go read and get all the meat in between. But what he finds out is all these individuals he has experiences with on the subway are CE, past CEOs of the organization he's in. And he has to go through and they teach him these lessons. And uh, the main guy, that main janitor, is the one teaching him these five temptations of a CEO. And so let's jump into this because I, I really feel this is where not just if you're a CEO, if you're a leader, I think it applies to all of us as leaders and also just in general, if you're trying to work your way up to become a leader, these are the temptations you want to avoid. So the first one is status. So status is, it's, it's really thinking about strategic over overcoming, you know, focusing on results. So we always get into status. Status means my title. I'm committed to the company, not my title. But if you are looking at, I want to make sure people know who I am. So number one is status over it. Do you personally consider personal failure when your organization fails? So that's a question to you. Do you often wonder what's next? What will I do on top of my career? So are you always thinking, hey, this is just a ladder. I'm just here for a minute. I'm going to milk this until I'm done. Or are you are you part of the team? You know, when I coached college soccer, when I failed as a coach, that means my whole team, I felt it. Do you feel it? Do you feel when you when your team fails, are you just waiting for that next step? Would it bother you greatly if your company exceeds its objective, but you remember somewhat uh, someone to your peers, to the industry, so you remain anonymous? Would it bother you that they do everything without, like you hit the objective, but you don't get the recognition, even though you were part of that catalyst? Would that bug you? 
or do you want that recognition? You want to be noticed all the time in front. So I I, I do apologize when I'm reading this, I might slaughter it because I'm looking at my notes, not my strength here, but in the story, Charlie was the janitor. That was his name. On the train, he asked Andrew, which was the CEO, he says, what was the best day of your career? Because Andrew answered that day he got promoted to president. And Charlie didn't ask why. Why was that the best? You know, why Why would that be the best in your life? Because he offered the advantage of the CEO to make results. So think about this. So why would it make a difference? Because if you're truly wanting to step up and to leadership, you have to ask yourself, why? Why is it that you want it? Lindsay only offers advices for CEOs. He makes the result most important to major personal success or step from the job. The failure of a company you lead is too important for the customers, the employee, the st- stockholders, or the stakeholders to hold it hostage from your ego. Think of that. Don't do it because of your ego. This is status over results. If your status is I am the man or woman and I am the only one that can do this, without me, they will fail. If that is your inner dialogue, if that's how you think, you're in the wrong place. Your ego is driving you. And this is what Patrick talks about. And you got to be very careful when it comes to this first temptation. So how do you get around that? This is my advice when it comes to status over results. Think of the results, think of the people, have a people plan, develop those around you and don't make it about you. Humble yourself. A servient leader is somebody that serves. It's out front that makes sure they're teaching and developing and not looking at everybody that they can't do the job. Of course they can't when they first come in. Develop them, spend time with them, be in present and don't be trying to avoid self-reflection. Because again, Stephen Covey said, you first have to work on yourself before you work on the people you lead. So that's what you're doing. If you're listening to this and you got this far, that means you're wanting to work on yourself. And so it's temptation two is choosing the accountability over popularity. And this is a huge temptation I've seen in a lot of my clients as I've coached a lot of CEOs, even myself when I first uh, started Way, way back then, as Dave Ramsey says, he always said he sucked at a leader when he first started and I did, and I still am working on it. Some days I do good, some days I don't, but I recognize it now. And so popularity is not the key here. I remember one staff of mine way, way back, she said, Matt, stop beating around the bush because I was worried about what people would think. And so popularity comes in all different forms, choosing trust over innovation or invulnerability, choosing trust over vulnerability, choosing conflict over harmony and choosing clarity over consistency or certainty, sorry. And so choosing accountability over popularity, choose results over status. You got to think about this as we go down this continuum, choosing accountability over popularity. You have to be accountable. You can't be popular. Do you consider yourself to be a close friend to those you re, you re, that report directly to you? Uh, does it bother you when they point or direct that if they are unhappy with you and not the company? Does it bother when they're unhappy with you? Do you get offended with that? That's a tough one. Think about it. Entrepreneurs, founders, visionaries, we're emotional. So Sometimes this will get you. And if you as a founder say, oh, that doesn't bother me, it never has, I would call you out on that. Uh, Next one is, do you often find yourself giving negative feedback to your direct reports due to the water down negative feedback to, to make it more palatable? So let me read, let me paraphrase that. Do you take negative feedback and try to soften the blow because you're so worried about the individual? And do you always vent to them about issues in the organization? For example, do you re- refer to your, your staff as we 
and our employees as they. So that's a divide. As we and as they, so is there a divide among your your direct reports to employees? You're no, as a leader, there's not this magic bullet that you should be separated from them. So think about that. So going down into the story, uh, in the story, Andrew believes he holds the people accountable. He's really thinking he does. And this is where the conflict in this story, as as um, Charlie is is teaching Andrew the story, he Andrew really thinks he does because he fired his marketing VP, like I mentioned before. And upon closer analysis, and as he looks at it, he avoided conflict. He didn't tell his VP. He didn't say, hey, your job is at risk. Hey, you're failing. Hey, your performance is not good. He just went in and fired him. So CEO Vice, what uh, Patrick Lencioni in the book, his, his advice is work for the long-term respect for your direct reports, not for their infection. Think about that. That's huge. These are little hidden nuggets in this book. Don't view them as a support group. But as key employees who make must deliver on their commitments, if the com- company is not producing results, this is where it gets dangerous. And remember, your per- people are not going to like you a- always. They're not going to like you anyway if you're ultimately failing. So if you're trying to be their friend, you're trying to be popular, all of a sudden they're failing and they're losing their job because of you did not hold them accountable and help them and nurture them. You try to be their friend. You try to make get their affection versus their accountability. So think of that. Big temptation. Let's jump into temptation three because this one is very important, just like temptation one and two, we're now jumping down to temptation three, which is choosing clarity over certainty. So when it comes to certainty and clarity, do you pride yourself on being intelligently uh, poised or present? Or do you prefer to wait for more information rather than deciding without all the facts? You got to have everything. I need everything. And, and I, you know, I mentioned our leadership style before my partner, he kind of falls in this one sometimes where I do really well on, Hey, we, we just have to have clarity and then not, cause we're not going to get certainty. We're going to talk about, do you enjoy debating uh, details with your direct reports during meetings? Does that really make you feel good? And Andrew in the story, he is analyzing this he waits to decide to make correct decisions that is important in the world of, that will impact information and uncertainty. So Andrew needs to uh, stop doing that. He need, he post, postpones decisions because he feels he doesn't have anything. So he doesn't make the decision and he waits. And so the reports to him are unclear where their deliveries are. And you cannot hold people accountable if things are not clear. So clarity of roles, clarity of expectations is very important. So one thing we teach is we like this concept. It's called EOS. It's, it was based on some of these great leaders that have put it together. And it was led by Gina Wickman and some other people. And it's just a concept. It's putting together. And one of the things they talk about is having the seat very clear and the reports understanding clear expectations, clear roles which really combats this this temptation three. You can't hold people accountable if things are not clear. That's what it said in the book. And the advice from, from the author, he says, make clarity more important than a certainty. Because you cannot get certain, hey, I got to have everything, everything before I move forward. Remember that your people will learn more if you take this advantage uh, or action when, if always waiting for more information. So you're going to learn more. If you have enough to move, you're going to learn as you're doing it. And if the decisions you make in the split creating split of creating clarity turns out to be the wrong one, then more information will become available. I like that because I'm reading it verbatim here because 
it, it's really important because as you're going down this decision funnel, hey, let's go. Oh, wait, that was the wrong one. It's not a failure. It's hurrying, adjusting, and pivoting and saying, hey, what did we learn from that? How can we do it? I'm the leader. I own it because we made that decision. But hey, we got more information, more data. And that's what he's saying here is don't sit and sit on your butt and spin, you know, in your chair saying, well, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And I've heard that, you know, just recently, I heard that a lot. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting. And the individual has not their seat clear. That's where I came out of it, is that the seat was not clear. So the clear expectation, clear roles was not there. So the only real cost when it comes to this, the author goes in and says, you know, when you're do going down this road, you're, you'll figure that out. If you make this decision in that creative spirit and it was wrong, you're going to learn more. You're going to gain more. And then he says here, he says, the only real cost you have of being wrong is the is your loss of pride. That's it. Because you're going to teach people as you go. They're going to say, man, Johnny gets this. You know, we always are creative. We're in a very creative, collaborative spirit. And hey, he was wrong, but he was willing to admit it. He was vulnerable. But we then process that just like a coach when my team would lose i didn't would go back and say hey what could we've done better then we watched the videos we watch and we analyze our performance and we learn from it and we get better so the cost of it is your company is not taking the risk and being wrong and paralyzed because being paralyzed is worse not doing anything so again temptation three clarity over uh, certainty so get the roles clear, get people clear <clears throat> on what's expected from them and then move forward and help that innovation, help that creativity, resourcefulness and innovation. As, as the quote I shared with uh, doc, our Dr. Um, Stephen Covey is help that innovation. Make sure that you understand it and yet you can move forward. All right, going to temptation four. We're almost to five, and then we'll close at five. But comment in here, uh, wherever platform you're listening, I'd like to hear your feedback on this. But temptation five, choosing conflict over harmony. What does that mean? Think about that. So when I read the book, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Conflict over harmony. But everybody wants to be harmonious. Everybody wants to rule by consensus. Everybody doesn't want anybody to... And it goes back up to popularity. So if I'm trying to be popular, I'm going to try to be harmony or find harmony over everything. Oh, don't fight, guys. Stop. So do, do you mean, so I'm going to ask these questions that is here. It says, do you prefer your meetings to be pleasant and enjoyable? Here is some cookies, guys. Here is everything. And I'm not saying go in and fight. I'm just, you can hear my facetiousness, but I'm just saying I've seen these where it's it's just needs to be, hey, we're going to do some drawings. We're going to do anything. Even though the team is really not hitting their marks, we still try to make it palatable. Are your, your meetings often boring? So is it about the individual running the meeting? Are you getting things done? Do you, do you get uncomfortable at a meeting if your direct reports uh, argue? Uh, do you often make peace or often recancel and redirect reports who are at odds with one another? So think about those meetings that you're in right now. And if you're listening, what is that kind of meeting? And this is where, uh, you know, as a consultant, I'll go in and help them understand how to run these meetings. So some, some CEOs believe it's better for people to agree and get along than disagree and the conflicts with one another. If you're that type of CEO, call me, get a hold of me on LinkedIn because I'm going to help you understand what he just said. Some CEOs believe that it's better for people to get along and not disagree. And that is very opposite of what should be happening. And one of the best ways of getting more comfortable with decisions is to believe from the best sources of information available. For direct reports, Harmony sometimes restricts that. It doesn't let them talk openly and honestly among each other. So productivity, ideas, conflict, the passion, 
the interchange, the op- opinions and the issues. You got to bring all those out. What are the issues? What are the issues? Let's be open and honest. Without this kind of conflict, decisions are often stump- stumbled or stipend. Sorry, they're they're stopped. No bueno. No, they can't move forward. And the, the, the best decisions are made only after all knowledge is brought to the table. Hey, this is what, here's the issue. This is really what's going on. Here's what's making me mad. Here's not working. And we got to get it out. Not only people respect that, they have opinions and they agree with it, but they are considered when all available knowledge is considered, changes in optimal decisions are greater so if I can put the issue out, we discuss it, we throw it, we go around the table, everybody gets a, a quick minute to discuss it and dig down to what the issue is, we are more likely to get the right solution. Because then when we come to solving it, instead of just beating a dead horse, we've all been in those meetings, it's going to get to the, where you need to be. So it's really digging down, as he says in this book, it's a great book, man, lots of hidden gems in it. And not mentioning likelihood, conflict in these decisions, uh, which is just as important. So what the author is saying in his book, uh, The Five Temptations of a, or the, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he talks about uh, healthy conflict. Conflict is a natural thing as long as it's healthy, not yelling at each other, calling you a, a dirty son of a gun. It's bringing the conflict to the table saying, hey, I have a people issue, I have a process issue, I'm really struggling with this, Uh, this is not working, here's my issue in one sentence, can we discuss it? I need everybody's help to solve it. And maybe one of the people at the table or the issue, and as you guys go around it, it's not a personal thing. It's, hey, what's going on? Well, my plate is overfilled, so I have dropped the ball as Susie's brought this issue. It's mine, and I have not followed through. Oh, solved. Okay, let's discuss that. What's the best solution? I need help. I've been taking it on and I haven't been open and honest with my team and I've been failing Susie miserably. So with that discussion, even though there's conflict and there's we don't want to avoid it, as a CEO, as a leader, whoever you're leading, you have to get them to lead that conversation. So the vice of the, the author here in this section, he says, you know, encourage your direct reports to air out their ideals, differences, and with passion. Meetings are often signs of progression. Time. Ones are often signs of leaving important issues from off the table. At times, they, they do. They don't put it up there. And we got to get it up there. And guard against personal attacks, but not to the point of, you know, interchanging or interchanges of the ideas. So no politicking on this. This is a process that we got to have conflict. And what he's saying is don't go in there and start yelling at people. Don't get that. Don't get me wrong. Is healthy conflict. And he has a diagram here is that, you know, we're going to talk about the issue. And it's a narrow healthy conflict is coming in the middle and putting it. It's not personal attack. That is not where we're going. It's greater good for the organization. If we have a people issue or a process issue, we want to throw it in the middle and say, here's my issue. I'm having a hard time because my re- the reports I need from other departments, especially the accounting department. So I'm going to now it's a, a specific issue, right? Is not coming to me in time. So then I'm not getting my stuff done in time. Can we discuss this as a team? And then whoever's leading that, moving to the left and going around the table, we then flush that out and we make sure that it comes to tuition. So that's that's the process here. And that's what it looks like when we're doing it right. All right, so that is uh, conflict over harmony, temptation four. Now we're moving on to the last temptation here. Temptation five, choosing trust over invulnerability. Choosing trust over invulnerability. This is a very important one, and it's something we all have to work on. So here's the questions. Do you have a hard time admitting when you're wrong? Do you have a hard time admitting when you're wrong? So is it hard for you to say, hey, I was wrong? 
or do you have a tendency to point fingers at other people? Do you fear that your direct direct reports will want your job? Want your job to, you know, hey, I, I want to be there. And you should. So we're going to talk about that. Do you try to keep your greatest weakness a secret from your direct reports? So here's a quote. Remember, teamwork begins by building trust and that the only way to do that is overcoming your need for invulnerability. So let's talk about what he's talking in the book. So we're going to go in here. So being vulnerable with your peers and reports are not is not comfortable. It isn't. It's just not. Uh, don't mistakenly believe that you lost uh, credibility when your people feel you're comfortable of challenging their your ideas. Do your people feel comfortable challenging your ideas and de decisions, or do they really round, rally around you and 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 give you opinion opportunities, opinions, and conflict with one another only when it is politicking? So what he's saying there is. Are you so worried about the trust that you, you're creating politicking among your your own direct reports because you're not willing to show up and be vulnerable and say, hey, we got to solve this. I'm not quite sure where to start, but I need your guys' help. Let's start coming up with some ideas. So here's the vice of the author. He says, encouraging. He says, your ego as a CEO, this is, he says, your ego is your issue. As a CEO, this is the greatest level of trust that you can give. They will return to you. So he's basically saying, get rid of your freaking ego. And it was with respect and honesty, with your uh, a desire to be vulnerable among their peers. He, this is all the research because uh, Patrick Lencioni, when he researched, he said the greatest CEOs were the ones that showed vulnerability. And he said, uh, I, I, I really respected those. And then among your peers, how can your people you treat you? Because it shows that you're more human. Because you got there just because you're leading an organization doesn't mean you're better than the other person. It's just you just went and pushed as a purpose-driven person and got there. And there's many other people can do the same. How can your people help you achieve more to create an environment where people or someone is inspired to give their best? You've got to create that environment and content and use today to schedule. A, you know, So think about that. If you want to explore that, how do you do that? So, you know, reach, reach out, you know, get on my calendar on Calendly, and we'll talk about how you do that. How do you achieve these things? Great demand, strategic discipline. To build an enduring great organization, this is what he says, requires disciplined people, disciplined thoughts, disciplined actions to produce super results and make a difference or an impact in the world. Discipline, discipline. So he said discipline a lot of times there. Over a long period of time, not short, long period of time. And so that's kind of where he's talking about. So in this, in the greater good, he talks about this build up, breakthrough. We break through the ceilings. Discipline people, they come in and say, hey, we're going to be this. Discipline thoughts, we're not going to be drama will people. We're going to stay out of the drama. We're going to talk about it. We're going to have healthy conflict. We're going to have. We're going to not do titles. We're going to do make sure that we're really pushing what needs to be done in the organization that's better for the organization. So uh, as we do this, so back to a disciplined thoughts, disciplined people. So we have to make sure we're doing these things to get the focus. So consistent meetings, winning habits, displaying, you know, how do we do that what are the three matrix? So prior to matrix, meetings, your meeting posts, those are the three areas you're going to hit. So I want to end on this. To get to where you need to, to have that winning habit, three strategic disciplines I'll leave with you is priority. How do you get that? you got to have clarity and priority, making sure you have an accountability chart. What is that? You know, Reach out and I'll help you figure that out. And then what are the matrix you're tracking? 
And then what is the meeting pulse? I think the struggle I've seen in all, even my own organization is that meeting rhythm. Uh, how do we be disciplined to make sure we're having that meeting rhythm and getting that discipline going? So that's what I have for you today. I hope it was uh, insightful. Again, this is a book. I really recommend Patrick Lincioni's books. He has one that called The Four Obsessions. It's a great book. I recommend that one. That'll be the next one I review. But in this, you as a leader, as a CEO, if you're listening to this, as we come to the end of the show, I challenge you, stay away from the five temptations. Really get to know them. And if you do just that, if you take away from this show these five temptations, I led you to a good book. I did my job. And anything else you need, reach out to me. I hope to hear from you. And I was always, as a leader, continue to do it on purpose and help lead those that you're over. Make a difference. Don't be about status. Don't be about popularity. Don't try to have certainty to make decisions. And definitely don't try to make harmony to, to make your team feel better. Uh, help them to have healthy conflict and solve things. And be vulnerable, just like you saw here. I'm not the best reader out loud. You saw me stumble. I'm going to stumble as a leader. doesn't matter if it's from there or whatever. I don't care what kind of degree you have. I don't care what kind of person you are. I just care that you care. And so think about that. Just because you're more uh, status-driven or you're at a status level doesn't mean you're a better than anybody else. Is This is leadership. Get out in front. Hold the banner. Teaching how to have character. This is what a leader does is you're teaching your individuals to have character. Most of them come in and you got to teach them what that looks like and what you expect. Be clear, clear roles, clear expectations. And that's it, guys. Go out and do what you do and lead. Have the courage to lead differently. Take care. I'm Matthew Cox, your host. Until next time. Hopefully you're just rocking it and I'll talk to you guys later. Take care. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Person podcast. Something I said today resonated with you. Head over to my website. I'd love to give you a free gift to download, but you can also email me at purposedrivenperson at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And remember, guys, always continue to push your dreams and never give up. I'll see you next time. Take care.